So tonight I really don't have a particular scripture to, to look at, to turn to, but I have a lot of scriptures to look at. Because we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, last week uh, I asked if anybody had not, anything that was on their heart or that they'd like for me to talk about. And, you know, Chris said in the light of things happening around today in different churches and everything that, that we need to maybe do a study on the Holy Spirit because it's important that we understand the, the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, who He is, and uh, how He operates. And so, I thought it was just going to be a one-night study, but as it turned out, the more you dig, the more you understand, and the more you want to share. And so, I have four pages and didn't even get to what I really wanted to tell you of notes. So, we'll see where we get to tonight and, and next week. But anyway, I titled this little study, Understanding the Holy Spirit. Just a simple title. But... I wrote out my introduction because I want to make sure it's, it's clear. Studying the Holy Spirit is a matter of getting our understanding of who God is right because the Holy Spirit is God. And we'll study that more in depth tonight about the Holy Spirit being God and being deity. Because if we get the Holy Spirit wrong, we are wrong about God, God himself. If we misrepresent the Holy Spirit, we are misrepresenting God. And we see the, mis- the Holy Spirit misrepresented a lot uh, today. God is who He is. The Holy Spirit is who He is. Neither are who we want them to be. In other words, today we see people making the Holy Spirit out to who they want to be. They make God who they want Him to be. And since neither is who we want them to be, you know, we need to go to the Scriptures to understand who God is and who the Holy Spirit is and to understand the, the Holy Spirit properly. And the only way to do that is through the Scriptures. And so I brought this up and just bring up some, some current things that are happening you know, and bring some different uh, misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you all have all heard about the Asbury uh, revival you know, happening in, in Kentucky at Asbury School. And just doing some listening to some news articles and some different people that have made quotes about it and I want to read a few of those quotes and and they talk about the Holy Spirit and you can understand just from these current quotes just from this last week or two about how they're understanding the Holy Spirit in the sense of this Asbury revival that they don't really understand the Holy Spirit and these are people of of prominence Uh, the first two quotes are going to be from Steve Jordahl I don't know if y'all are familiar with him but he writes a lot of news articles for AFN or AFR and so he has a, a very broad range of people that he is uh, communicating about the Holy Spirit and, and who the Holy Spirit is and, and his role. So I want to read two quotes from him in a news article that I read this week. He said, talking about the Asbury Revival, he quotes, A day-long prayer meeting for college students where thousands worshipped and took the Holy Spirit back home. So in other words... He's referring to the Holy Spirit as if it's some item in a store that you go and pick up and you just bring back home with you. And, you know, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, is, is God. There's, there's reverence about Him. The Holy Spirit is something that if you're a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit is in you and wherever you go, He is there. The only way that this quote would have been correct is if an individual went to that revival lost, became born again renewed by the Holy Spirit 
and then left that revival service from their born-again Christian having the Holy Spirit in them. But as we understand, by definition, a revival is not that. A revival is Christians coming to the understanding that they are not in right standing with God. Therefore, they, they revive their life, they revive their relationship with God. And so just the way that he refers to the Holy Spirit is just something that you just, you just go and pick up and you, you take him back home with you. This shows that he has that misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit residing in each and every one of us continually as born-again believers. His second quote in the same news article, he says, I hope we Christians who are not at Asbury don't overlook the manifestation of the Spirit in their own lives in the valleys of every daily living. So here the thing that pricks my, my understanding of his understanding of this the Holy Spirit is this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. People believe that the Holy Spirit just manifests Himself to believers <coughs> here and there throughout their life at different points in their life. And so here is he's, he's wanting people to understand that the Holy Spirit isn't just manifested to you at the high points of your life. When you come to Asbury and you become a partaker of this revival and you leave on a spiritual high, but he wants you to understand that you can have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit even in the, the valleys of your life when you're in the low points. Let me tell you, when you are a born-again Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in your life continually, and he continually manifests himself to you uh, because he's living in you continually. He's, he's communion, communing with your spirit continually. And so there's none of this here and there at spontaneous times in your life. But there's that continual understanding that the Holy Spirit is with us continually. And just through this news article, I picked up this kind of this, this misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit that he's leading uh, through this news article. Actually, Todd Bentley happened to be, he's a false teacher for those of you that don't know him. If you ever see a picture of him, you would wonder how he could even be who he claims to be. He's quite a, a character just by by looking at him but if he went to this revival at first he was not allowed to preach there but from what I understand he was later uh, allowed to preach there as a false teacher but he tweeted uh, this about the Holy Spirit Todd Bentley's tweet about the Asbury revival is the Holy Spirit lingers and you feel tangible waves of his presence in tweet and so it just shows that this false teacher, his understanding of the Holy Spirit and how he operates, and that he's just, it's like, it's just a totally bizarre understanding. It's a mystical understanding of how the Holy Spirit uh, operates in the lives of individuals. The Holy Spirit just doesn't linger after a person leaves a room. I mean, the Holy Spirit is, is there continually. He's, he's everywhere all the time. He's the God that's omnipresent, that's always everywhere. And, you know, it's not that he has tangible waves of his presence. I mean, it's just that mystical understanding that is a false understanding of the Holy Spirit. I want to read a, another quote. It's actually a, a good quote of, from Good Understanding. I read another article about the Asbury a Revival. It came through a speaker. I think he's actually the president of the G3 conference, uh, Josh Weiss. Weiss. This is what he wrote about it. He says, The Spirit of God is not a force or some contagious hype that can be caught and relocated into the life of another church. That's true understanding of the Holy Spirit. 
He understands that the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. You know, sometimes he says that you can relocate here and there. That, But the Holy Spirit is a continual presence of God living in every born-again believer all the time. Every time we come together as a body, he is there because we are there as individuals. I always I hate to hear people quote of that uh, passage out of Matthew 18 where it says, Where two or three are gathered, so there I will be also with you. That doesn't mean it takes two or three people to be gathered together in a room to have the Holy Spirit and to be God there. That scripture is in the context of discipline, church discipline. And so Matthew 18 is about church discipline. So when the witness of two or three people are there testifying about a person that needs to be disciplined in their life, and that comes out of the Old Testament because no one could be disciplined without the witness of two or three people against that individual, well, those two or three people in the church come together then God is with them in that disciplinary action. It has nothing to do with God being present in the Holy Spirit. When I am alone, the Holy Spirit is in me continually, all the time. I do not have to have anybody with me uh, to have the Holy Spirit with me. And so, through these quotes on the Asbury Revival, which is a very current event happening right now, we understand that the Holy Spirit is being misrepresented. People don't understand who the Holy Spirit is, how He operates. And so tonight, we want to kind of set that straight, make sure that we all are on the same page from the Scripture. Some other obvious terms that are used uh, in other cultures and other different denominations, they use the term anointed, or second baptism, uh, slaying, being slayed in the Spirit. You know, we have all those terms that misrepresent the Holy Spirit and the way the Holy Spirit operates in, in our lives. And so we want to correct that understanding and we want to make sure that we're firm in our own understanding of what the whole, of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a person and also how he operates. So before I jump into this, along showing you all these scriptures, any thoughts or comments on what I've talked about so far? About the Asbury revival, have y'all been following that? There were, there were homosexuals leading worship. Yeah. Homosexuals leading worship, preaching, bringing the word. What word is being brought is being brought by not always sound doctrine preachers like Todd Bentley. I mean, there's a one video of a woman that was, of an exorcism that was happening. And it's like I told Alma, you look, if you watch that video, people are just walking around her as if nothing's really happening. I'm, I'm telling you, if, the, if Satan was in the room sitting next door to me, I think my attention would be on that. Mm-hmm. Or a demon or whatever, you know. But it's just, there's just a shallot, non-care attitude there. Just a, I showed her the first picture I saw of it. You know, it's just, you have boys just walking around with caps on their head in the sanctuary, which shows a lack of respect. I mean, there's just a, it's kind of like they're at a theme park in, in a sense. There, there's, there's no respect for God or for what he's, the potential work that he can can be doing, so a lot of a lot of red flags are popping up to see, and we never know. I've never been there. I haven't been there, but time will tell. You know, as a, as any revival shows that lives will be changed, and they will be changed for the long term. And so we'll see in the long run, long run, what happens with these college students. It's interesting that you know because they've had so many bad teachers or false teachers. And why would God, you know, I mean, God could use that, don't get me wrong, but I mean, it, it, if it would happen in John MacArthur's church or, 
you know, Stephen Lawson's church, somebody where you know they're preaching the word of God, there'd be a less, you know, Suspect. pessimism, <laughs> yeah. right? Until, you know, now I think there's a lot just because, like, you know, there's so many guys like Josh and Justin Peters and all these guys that really delved into it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a shame. And by the way, I heard that verse quoted out of context this morning. You know, it's quoted a lot, um, and I don't know why, but I always say, you know, rather than think, I, you know, I always say, well, well, where none or more are gathered, there he is. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's what I tell people because, you know, it does say he's, on, he's everywhere, right? That's right. I think the hard thing is, is like in an age of social media where, like, our, our feed is being flooded with people jumping on the Asbury and this new Jesus Revolution movie, both of which are, are I'm, I'm very pessimistic about it. We as a group look like the we are the minority because we look like we're such Debbie Downers and hard nosed um, when we just want people to see truth. But we have an entire generation being taught to live by emotion, and 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 really don't understand truth. And I don't see it as pessimism. I see it as discernment. Yeah, yes. I mean, for yeah. us, but I'm you know. Yeah, other people don't see it as discernment. Other people look right? at me. So I've had people say like, you just say no to everything. You you don't believe in the work of God. I absolutely do, but you know, not this. Right. Didn't I say where there's a revival that's broke out at LSU campus? Well, that's going to bring it. They were going to bring it there. They're the same thing. Bring it there. Yeah. After Yeah. <laughs> There's a reason to repent after Mardi Gras. So. All right, so let's look at this, the Holy the Holy Spirit in, in Scripture, and just as with any member of the Trinity, you know, there's not just one section in the Bible that's devoted to the Holy Spirit, but all of Scripture is just filled with with the with the Holy Spirit. It's filled with the Father. It's, it's filled with Christ, and so. Just with any member of the Trinity, if we were to study that, we have to run the gamut of the whole Scripture. So tonight and uh, next week, we're going to look at a lot of Scriptures because uh, I, I want you to see the Holy Spirit. I want you to see how He's not just a New Testament thing, but the Holy Spirit has been around uh, actually from, we'll see the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-1 all the way to Revelation 22, the second, the, the third and fourth last verses in the Bible. I mean, so the Holy Spirit is all the way through. And so we have to understand, to be able to understand the Holy Spirit truly in the way he operates throughout Scripture, uh, we must look at all of, of Scripture, the, the whole uh, Scripture, the whole context of the Bible. So first of all, we want to establish, I want to establish the Holy Spirit as God. And it's important we do that because a lot of people don't believe in the, the Trinity or that, that God is three persons in one. And so they, they believe in God, but they don't believe in Christ as deity. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit as deity. But So we have to establish the Holy Spirit as being a deity, as being God, one in the, in the same. And so I want to do that, uh, first of all, through the Scripture. But let's begin. I guess we'll begin in Genesis 1.1. And actually, we'll see in the beginning was the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily see the Holy Spirit, but what we see, or it, it does in verse 2, but as we see in this creation account, it talks about the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't necessarily see or say the Spirit is God, but it says the Spirit of God. And so what I like to use here in these verses, when we go to the creation account, it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, 
And the earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God said there was light, and light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. And God called the light dark, and darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was darkness. Then God said there was an expanse in the midst of the expanse. And God made the expanse, and the expanse of the waters, which were below the expanse. And then, if you go on down uh, through this whole creation account, it says, then God said, let us. And so what I want you to understand here is that God, when He begins the creation, it is God the Father, God the Spirit, but He says, let us. So when He's talking about us, He's talking about the plurality of the Trinity. He doesn't say let me, but he says let us. The way I explained the creation with the children uh, last week, last Tuesday night, we did a review over uh, Genesis, is that God created, God is the architect. God the Father is the architect. He had the plan. God gave the plan to the Son, the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the creator of all things. They were all things were made through Christ, Colossians 1, 16. And 17, and it says that Christ holds all things together. In Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about Christ being the creator of all things. But also it talks about the Spirit. And so where we see that when God created all things, and in the beginning was the Spirit, the Spirit is where we receive life. The earth received life. God God gave the Son the creation plan. Christ created things, but it was by the spirit that life entered into the creation if you think if you study the word spirit literally in the greek it can be translated several ways as as it's translated capital s spirit as holy spirit the word is ruach r-u-c-h-a-w-h i believe is the way you spell it in the greek it can also mean the same word for our spirit but it literally means breath or to breathe And so when it talks about the Spirit being on the earth, it's talking about the life, the breath of life. And so everything that was created on this earth, it was created with life. And that's because the Holy Spirit was hovering over those waters and was present. And as Christ created or made those creations, the animals, the the birds, the fish, the airs, the, the animals, the human beings, He gave life and animation to those things. And so that's the role in the, of the Holy Spirit in creation. And so, so first of all, to establish in the Holy Spirit as God, there is that plurality of the, the Godhead. And the plurality of the Godhead includes the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, if you want to turn there with me, in chapter 6, a very familiar passage is where Isaiah comes before the throne of God and he says, Woe is me. Of course, God takes that coal and purifies his lips because he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips, and and God does that. But in Isaiah chapter 6, also when you read it carefully, you see there's a plurality also in these verses. Look in verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? So here we see, we have the plurality of God here manifested. We have God the Father, we have God the Holy Spirit, and we have God the Son, all referred to as as the us, or the plurality of the Holy Spirit 
God the Father and God the Son. And so I just wanted you to see those little tidbits of how just a plural pronoun uh, shows to us that there is a trinity, there is a plurality. The Holy Spirit is a part of God. To help affirm who the us really is, turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. This verse refer to back, back to quite regularly because it is a quite an intriguing, powerful verse. It's talking about salvation if we are truly saved. That we understand that if we're going to be truly saved that we have to receive the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8 verse 9 it describes the Holy Spirit. Who is the Spirit of? It says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So this verse here, it simply draws together the understanding that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God the Father, the Holy Spirit is the God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Son, the Christ. And so when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the fullness of deity residing in us. You cannot separate a person from their spirit. If you take a spirit out of a person, what do you have? A corpse. God is not dead. You cannot take the spirithood from God. You cannot take the spirithood from Christ. And so you have to have the Spirit of God, and you have to have the Spirit of Christ. They all reside together so that we reserve a holy and living God. So you cannot subtract the Holy Spirit from the Trinity because He's that, that vital part that, that gives the, the life of God. It is His life that He imparts to each and every one of us upon salvation so that we have a God living in us. And so here we have this understanding of the Holy Spirit as part of that Trinity, as, as being a God. Since we're here in the New Testament, let's look at another New Testament passage. If you turn forward to Acts chapter 5. Again, all here are just trying to establish that the Holy Spirit is, is God, is a part of the Trinity. Acts chapter 5, we see the, the first sin in the church, and it was dealt with severely. And it's uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that they went they had decided they were going to sell a piece of property. They were going to give the proceeds to the church. And I don't know if they got more than they anticipated, but anyway, they said, well, you know, we're only going to give a portion of the proceeds to the church. And so they brought it to Peter. And, you know, Peter, knowing the situation by the power of the Holy Spirit, asked him, you know, where's the rest of it? Anyway, we see that here in Acts chapter 5, this, uh, what happened in verse 3 and 4. They said, but Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So who did Peter lie to? And to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your possession, in, in your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Why have you have not lied to men but to God. So here we see here in Ananias' account that Peter said that he lied to God, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And so here we see that both the lie was against God, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father both 
being re- referred to as the same uh, deity, the same Godhood as the Holy Spirit as being a deity. And so some of these stories that we just read through and we're very familiar with, we don't pick up these little details <coughs> of the Holy Spirit. And as I said, to fully understand the Holy Spirit, we have to to run the whole gamut of Scripture because Paul or Peter or none of these apostles, they didn't write a book on the Holy Spirit to put it all together for us. And so I hope through these studies to help you to understand uh, this understanding of the Holy Spirit. Another reason that we understand that the Holy Spirit is God is because that we understand that in the Old Testament Scriptures, Old Testament Scriptures of God are referred or quoted in the New Testament. You understand what I'm saying? We have Old Testament passages that the New Testament writers picked up and wrote them in the New Testament writings as a quote of the Old Testament. And so as we read those Old Testament passages, they're very clear that they are a word of God. Or in the Old Testament, it says, as of the Lord, the Lord God is what it's referring to. But when the New Testament writers pick it up, who do you think they refer those quotes as the writer to? They say the Holy Spirit wrote this scripture. So I want to show you a couple of examples of those where in Psalms, if you turn to Psalms 95, where the writers of the New Testament, they understood that God the Father and the Holy Spirit wrote the same scriptures and therefore if they are both the same author, they must both be the same person is what I want you to understand uh, through these uh, scriptures and the way they're used. In Psalms 95, we'll pick up in verses 6 through 11. It says, Come now, let us, come now, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Manasseh, Massah, in the Wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger they shall not enter into my rest. So who is this quote of? Who dealt with the Old Testament people? Moses did, and Moses, he, the presence of God came to Moses. He met him face to face. And so we understand that this is, is, is a quote from God the Father dealing with the Old Testament. So when you turn to the New Testament in Hebrews, uh, Wait, chapter... Say that again. I didn't follow what you just said. God the Father dealt <coughs> with the Israelites in the wilderness through Moses. So this is a quote of David in the Psalms about a wilderness experience at Meribah and Massah. That happened way before him. him. And so David is quoting basically here an account from Exodus Mm -hmm. and he's bringing it forward, quoting God the Father. And so David's quoting it as a quote of God the Father. But when we get to Hebrews, we're going to see that the writer of Hebrews refers this exact same quote and he relates this quote as that of being of the Holy Spirit. And so all this is to show you that the same identical quotes that are being quoted by two different people, which is the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
because they're the same quotes by two different people, they must actually be the same person. I'm just trying to draw this together that the Father and the Holy Spirit are one and the same God. If that makes sense. I got you. I already All right. So Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. It says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and a direct word-for-word word quote of Psalms 95, as we just read, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for the 40 years. And so we see here, the thing that God the Father quoted to Moses, David quoted, and the Psalms is referred to as a quote of the Holy Spirit directly. Keep your hand here in Hebrews, because we want to turn back to Jeremiah. I want to, I'll show you uh, one more. Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant. Jeremiah reported for us in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 through 34. I'll just pick up in verse 33 so you understand. It says, uh, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. So here's the person saying this quote. The Lord, referring here to Jehovah God, the Lord says, When I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities, and their sin I will remember no more. So now turn back to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15 begins, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness. So, here we see again the Holy Spirit bearing witness of the exact same quote that the Lord Jehovah quoted to Jeremiah. And he begins to quote that new covenant. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write it with them. And so here we see that by the understanding of similar quotes from the same person quoted by the Old Testament and New Testament writers, we can gather that the Holy Spirit is God. He is deity. He is one and the same. If you want another one, Isaiah 6, 8 through 10 is referred back to Acts 28. It's actually Paul does a little writing. And so you can look at uh, that later. Can, can I read one of my favorite ones on the Trinity? Yes. Even though it's specific to Jesus. But I, I sent this one to you guys a long time because I read this to read through Jude and it just never really hit me. But this Jude 5 says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, 
and we always think that you know we think God the Father, but I mean it's another you know example Again, of yeah. It puts it puts that actually I put the Father Jehovah and the Holy Spirit, and He puts the third person of or the second person of Christ in there. Yes. And so if you look at all Scripture, I mean, throughout the whole Bible, you'll see all these little verses that tie all these, uh, the Trinity together. And so we understand understand it better. So is it the, so the Pentecostal religion, they totally separate them, right? Like they don't say that the Holy Spirit is God? It depends on what sect of the Pentecostals you deal with. Okay. Because they have different versions right. of, of Pentecostalism. Right. Right. But that's, so that's what Stephen Furtick teaches them. Along with T.D. Jakes and a, yeah. a world of other ones, yes. So and they would gonna, never say, they would never stand in the pulpit and say, Jesus is God? They say he trained no, they, they, they would say they that could, Jesus they, is God, but, but, not at the same but, time. but God was only on the earth when Jesus was on the earth. Okay. Because he was, when, when Jesus was on the earth, God basically couldn't have been in heaven because he can only be in one place at one, at time. one time. Okay. That's called modalism, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a moment, but why we have to understand that, and why why we have to understand the Holy Spirit as being God, a part of that Trinity that's everywhere all the time, wherever God is all the time, wherever Christ is all the time, as one individual deity. Because that's, that's the Holy Spirit, because they want to separate Him. Other denominations want to separate Him. Jehovah's Witnesses, they do not believe that Christ is 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 God, because... I'll get to that in a minute, but anyway, another understanding how we can understand through Scripture that the Holy Spirit is God is in First Corinthians chapter three. It talks about us being the temple of God, and Paul here in First Corinthians chapter three, he refers uh, to both to us being the temple of both God and the Holy Spirit in the same temple. So if we are going to be the temple of one God and both God the Father and the Holy Spirit are living in us, that indicates to us that the Holy Spirit and God the Father must be one. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Talking about the Father there. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So here we see that within the same residence of our heart, us being the temple that God the Father and the Holy Spirit, both being God, as he refers to here, the Spirit as God, is in the same place, as the same person. And that's what we can understand and glean from, from this scripture here. So we have all these different aspects that help us to understand that, that God that the Holy Spirit is a God, that, that third person of the Trinity. But also we can understand that through of similar attributes that the Holy Spirit is the same as God. When we talk about and understand uh, the Holy or if, if we were to talk about God the Father, how would you describe God the Father? Omniscient, omnipotent. Um, all, omniscient, omnipotent. Omnipresent. Holy. Yeah, I mean, full of truth, full of glory. So let's look at those things. Those, all those attributes that we commonly uh, apply to God the Father. We'll begin with the aspect of God eternal. Hebrews chapter 9. I happen to be in Hebrews right here conveniently. I don't know where y'all are still at. Probably in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Just keep all your fingers in all the pages. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so God is eternal. Obviously, God the Father is eternal. But Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 4, here we see that the Holy Spirit is referred to, I'm not 4, but 14, line 14, that the Holy Spirit is called the eternal Spirit. He says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer Him without blemish, for to God cleanse your conscience from dead works. And so here we understand God the Father as being eternal. But here as we want to make sure and confirm that the Holy Spirit and God are one and the same, well, if you want to look at two similar items, if you let's just say you're in Walmart and you're looking at two different items and you want to make sure they're exactly the same. What do you do? You read the ingredients on it, right? And so here through these scriptures, I want you to see that the same exact characteristics of God the Father are the same exact characteristics of the Holy Spirit. God the Father is eternal. He lives forever and ever. He was before all things. He is now and He will always forever endure. And so the Holy Spirit here in Hebrews 9.14 is referred to as the eternal Spirit. Before all things, at the present, will always forever and ever be there. So the Holy Spirit is exactly like the Father. The glory of the Holy Spirit. We think about God in all of His glory. First Peter, chapter four, verse fourteen. You know, whenever going back to the wilderness experience, you know, God shone His glory uh, through the cloud and the pillar of fire. Moses wanted to see the glory, and God said, "You can't see Me face to face." But He allowed him to see His backside, a, a small portion of, of that glory. Just a great glory that God has, just a, a brilliance that, that no man can live and, and see. But in First Peter four fourteen it talks about that glory. He says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again here, not only is this a good verse, a Trinity verse, because it refers to the Christ, the Spirit, and the Father. But it directly refers to the spirit of glory, and we know that we worship a father of glory. And that, that whole, the glory of God rests upon us because we have the spirit of glory residing within us when we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Think about holiness. What did Peter say in First Peter chapter 1? Be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am unholy. And so... Because God is holy. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 4, it talks about the holiness of the Holy Spirit. And why do you think we can be holy just as God is holy? Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, dwells in each and every one of us that are born-again Christians. And so in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he describes the Holy Spirit. He says, Who is declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection, talking about Jesus Christ, from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, another beautiful Trinity verse here, but it, it's, in particular I want you to see that Christ was holy because who was upon Christ? The spirit. He was, upon, he was more than upon Him. Wordplay here, and I'll, you'll understand this in a minute. The Spirit was in Christ. The Spirit dwelt in Christ. The Spirit led Christ. The Spirit drove Christ into the wilderness to test His holiness. And so we understand that the Spirit of holiness, the same Spirit that 
indwelt Christ indwells us. Therefore, we can be obedient to, as Peter said, be ye holy because I am holy. And so there is a holiness that we can live out in our lives just as God is holy because that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, lives in each and every one of us. So we see the similar traits of the, the Holy Spirit and God the Father. Who said omnipotent? Somebody did over there. Y'all ran off all those omnipotent. Y'all know what omnipotent means? Omnipotent means all-powerful. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Is it God all-powerful? Think about God as being all-powerful all the time. He, whatever He says, it happens. Whatever He does, it, it occurs. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it refers to the Holy Spirit. As the spirit of power. This is referring back to the immaculate conception of the Virgin Mary. It says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. Again, here we see the whole Trinity in the conception of the Son. The the concept and the, the incarnation, the incarnation of Christ, of the the um, when Mary, when Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary, we see Christ was being conceived, but He is also in there along with the Holy Spirit and with the Father, and so it's by the power of the Father and the power of the Father coming upon Mary and conceiving the Son within her. And just a little in, innuendo there that I want you to remember for later on tonight. It says that the Holy Spirit will do what with Mary? Come upon her. Did He indwell her? Was He in her heart? Was He in her spirit? Not yet. And this, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to come to that in a, in a moment. Talking about God the Father being all-powerful, the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Same, identical character traits. Same, identical God. One and the same. Um, what does the window mean? <laughs> like a reference. Oh, okay. Sorry. Thank you, Chris. If that's a good word. Yeah. So all omnipresent means always present. And of course, we know that God is always present. The Holy Spirit is always present. Psalms... Turn back to the Old Testament here to have this reference in Psalms 139. <clears throat> 139. Verses 7 through 10. The psalmist is lamenting here. He says, Psalms 139.7. And this is the aspect of similar characteristics. And we know that God is present everywhere at all times, omnipresent. So here the psalmist laments. He says, where can I go from thy spirit? Oh, where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. So God is ever-present, everywhere, all the time. And here the psalmist declares that the Spirit of God is there all the time. So we understand 
that the Holy Spirit has the same characteristics as God the Father uh, does. So I hope you get in the picture here. One last one, the omniscience of God. Omniscience means that he is all-knowing of all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul writing to the Corinthians about knowledge and, and wisdom refers to the knowledge and wisdom of, of God the Father. And who can know the knowledge and wisdom of a man except the spirit of a man? And so if our spirit understands us, who understands God the Father other than his own spirit? Is what Paul is relating here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We look at verses 10 and 11. He says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. So everything, God being all-knowing, He knows all things, and because the Spirit is the Spirit of God. He knows all things, just as the Father knows all things. And all these things, just to point out, the, the Holy Spirit and God the Father are identical in characteristics, and therefore they have to be both the same deity. We cannot separate them. Any thoughts or comments? Look at common activities. A lot of scriptures, I'm just going, a lot of them we're, we're familiar with. I'm going to just give you that the Holy Spirit and the God the Father operate in the same way. We've already looked at the creation. Saw in Genesis 1 1 that it was us there doing that. When we look at the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus Christ, we see in John chapter 14, we see that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Comforter or the Helper. And we understand that Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he was the comforter and he was the helper to the disciples. God is our helper in the Old Testament. He talks about that in the Psalms. And so therefore the Holy Spirit is the same. As Jesus said in John 14, he says, I will send you the comforter, the helper, referring back to the Holy Spirit. See the common activities of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Scripture. You know, God wrote it. But he wrote it by the Holy Spirit inspiring men to write it. And so we see the common activities of the Word of God being manifested to men by the Holy Spirit laying upon the hearts of men to write the words of God. And so that can only be have occurred by the common activity of the God the Father and the Holy Spirit interacting at the same time. We see the intercession. We see that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Who else intercedes for us? Jesus. It says in Hebrews that Christ is our great interceder. In Romans it talks about the Holy Spirit interceding for us through prayer. He says he takes those prayers and he, he takes them and makes turns them into groanings that are acceptable before God. And so we see the same common activity between the Son and the Spirit is intercession. How about miracles? Who did miracles on this earth? Who else did miracles on the earth? The apostles. How did they do that? 
by the Holy Spirit. And so we see the common activity of, of the Son and the Spirit and the apostles all working together with the power of the Holy Spirit. How about regeneration? Who, re- who regenerates us? The Spirit. The Spirit. Titus 3.5. Remember we looked at that a couple weeks ago through the washing of regeneration. It says, For by grace you are saved, not of your works, but by the mercies of God, by the washing of regeneration of the, and the renewing of the Spirit in us. And so we have that. But how can we be washed and regenerated? Because Jesus, first of all, made atonement for us. And so we see that aspect of the common uh, activities of, of the, in the Trinity working. God had to ordain the plan of salvation. Christ had to fulfill that plan of salvation. The Holy Spirit uses the actions of Christ to wash us clean. He takes that blood of Christ and, and washes our spirit to make us an acceptable uh, temple before God. The Holy Spirit also resurrects us. Look at this one. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Very interesting verse. Yes. The Holy Spirit's activity in resurrection. How was Christ resurrected? The Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 talks about the resurrection of Christ. And it says that if Christ could be resurrected by the Holy Spirit, who else can be resurrected by the Holy Spirit? We can. Romans 8.11. He says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. So here we see the common activity that the Holy Spirit, He resurrected the Son and He resurrects us. Um, it's, it's kind of stated similarly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That's right, exactly, exactly. Good cross-reference. <laughs> you just had that one penciled in by it. Huh? <laughs> Talk about the common, uh, you know, common effectiveness of both of them. Though. I mean, but you know, Jesus also says that I lay down my life and I take it back up again. So I mean, this it's almost confusing, but it shows the the, the plurality yeah. of the the, the, the the Trinity. I yeah. mean, it, it has to be a Trinity. There's no way to believe in our God without a Trinity. If you don't believe in the Trinity, you will be totally confused and you cannot make any of the scripture work out. I keep going back to John 1, 1, right? Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in verse 1 of Genesis, but in verse 1 of John, it says, you know, he's talking about Christ. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that has been made. It's just, it's all throughout the scripture. It really, really is. And lastly, we see sanctification. That sanctification is something that the Holy Spirit does. And, you know, we can be sanctified because Christ, and it is the will of God that we be sanctified. That's what it says in Thessalonians 5, I think it's 23. It says that it is the will of God that we are sanctified in both body, soul, and spirit. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit that sanctifies us also, in First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it calls the Spirit that sanctifies us. And so we see, because the Holy Spirit is the same, doing exact same things, they have the same characteristics, is referred to in Scripture through the, as being the same person quoting it. We see stories where it's the same, uh, referred, in the same story referring to the God the Father and the, the Spirit, 
and all these things that the Holy Spirit has to be deity. And so I, I know we understand that, but I just wanted you to understand that through Scripture and to see how much it, it really is in Scripture for us to understand and makes it clear for us. What does my time look like? It's a quarter till. All right. Thirteen till. I'll close with this. The reasons to understand that the Holy Spirit... The, the reasons to understand the Holy Spirit in light of being a God is a part of the Trinity is because of the false teachings. I just want to cover this part because it was mentioned. Many false religions, they, they pull out the Holy Spirit from the Trinity. They pull out Christ from the Trinity. Actually, you take, for example, the Mormons. You know, They don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that he was a, a spirit brother to Satan. And so you cannot... You cannot pull all these parts of God in part because if you do, you destroy God and who He really is. So we have to understand Christ in the light of the Godhead. We have to understand the Holy Spirit in the light of the Godhead. And so because throughout all the centuries, even beginning with the early church, there was this understanding, and it, it goes back to the Old Testament. It's, it's kind of innocent in a way that what does God say in, the, in, the, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy? He says, I am one. There is no other but me. And so God emphasizes that aspect of oneness. And so you can kind of understand where they want to hold on to that Old Testament concept of God is one and not want to bring Christ into the Godhead or bring the Holy Spirit into the Godhead. But at the same time, according to all those Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, you can't pull them out. So you have to understand through these false teachers that even though they, when they pull him out, they're serving another God. Anytime you pull out the Holy Spirit from the Godhead, anytime you pull out Christ from the Godhead, you have created an unbiblical God. He is not the God that we serve. And so we have to understand the Holy Spirit in the light of the Trinity and as being a part of the Godhead. Secondly, the false teachers teach uh, modalism. And we see this in a lot of the, the Pentecostal of religions and what that basically is is that God can only operate in one mode at a time and so as we see the scriptures that I've showed you tonight that we see that Christ the Father the Son the Holy Spirit all operating at the same time in different op they're operating in the same manner achieving the same activities all at the same time but they are in different places at different times because as we see is our, in our sanctification, for example, where is God the Father? Where is God the Father right now? In heaven. Where is, are you, let me put it this way, let's establish some parameters. Are you being sanctified? I hope so. So where is God the Father during your sanctification process? He's in heaven. Where is Christ? Right hand of God the Father. So who's doing the sanctifying work in you? The Holy Spirit. So is God sanctifying you? So is he in heaven or is he in you? Yes. yes. <laughs> so you understand the catch here is that, that you cannot mobilize God and say that he's in one place and not in another place because we see that if he's going to be operating in my heart and living in my heart as he promised, he can't be in heaven if you're going to claim modalism. And so we have to understand that you cannot pull the Trinity apart. We have God the Father. We have God the Holy Spirit. We have God the Son. And they all have their proper roles and functions that they do, but they do it at the same time and they do it from different positions.
It's, it's one of those non-negotiables. It's right? very non-negotiable. Because yes. if people claim modalism, then they're not preaching to God of the Bible. That's right. right. That's right. I just always get like very confused about the story of Jesus, like the night he was arrested when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was missing that word. <laughs> and and he was like praying to his father. And I was like trying to think of the Trinity, you know. And it just always used to get very confusing to me. Because I was like, if he's got, you got to remember, he was fully God and God. fully man. Yeah. So it just it just used to always. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm not remember that ex- ex- word for word, but I think it says that the Spirit was with him, maybe, during that time in the garden. If I'm not mistaken, I have to go back and, and confirm that for sure. Or he was strengthened by the Spirit. I know it. Maybe not. Anyway. John John 10.30, also Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Yeah. It's all through. It's all through. All right, we'll pick up next week and uh, continue. This might actually be a three-week study. He says that in the garden, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That might be what I'm thinking about. I think it's telling Peter that. Let me close this. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for how in-depth it is. challenges our understanding, but yet you give us a wisdom and understanding. And Father, just as your scripture said in Corinthians, that your spirit understands you and your thoughts. And Heavenly Father, when your spirit lives and resides in us, we know that we can know your thoughts. We can understand how you operate. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can give a defense for the truth that we know that stands and Father, I hope that through this study that we will be more versed and we may be, that we would be more firm and bold about our confession of who you are. These things we pray in your son's name. Amen.